And then I traveled to the seven levels of the candy cane forest, past the sea of swirly, twirly gumdrops, and then I walked through the Lincoln Tunnel. Happy holidays, craft beer fans. This is Cincy Brewcast. I think this is our uh, holiday slash Christmas show. Um, the, the music throws me off, too, because it's the slower, older version of the theme song. Maybe I'll fix that before I post the show, if the, I have some spare time. The jingle bells are a nice touch. <laughs> I like the jingle bells. I like the uh, the elf clip thrown in there. So I just I watched know. that last night. Um, it was playing at work today, and I didn't get a chance to sit down and watch it at all, because I think I was the only one working, so... No, I'm joking, if anybody that I work with listens. <laughs> um, so this is kind of a Christmas show, kind of, sorry, holiday show, um, kind of not. So I, I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll take the Christmas music out completely by the time it posts, and it just won't be. I, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what the show this it's is. Smorgasbord. This is um, the year of Urban Artifact wrapped up. So the last time we sat down with you guys was probably like almost exactly a year ago. We were at... Uh, Cab- no, we did one show after that where we were um, in the tap room for last year's Christmas show. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was almost a year ago, and we spent a lot of time talking about how this year was going to be the urban the year of urban artifacts. Um, and I, I I definitely think it was. So um, jumping ahead, um, joined by Brett Coleman Baker, Scotty hey. Hunter. So um, you guys are sort of uh, regulars on the show. I think you are in like the elite club of. Um, member jacket wearing uh guests on the show i don't know how many appearances you have to have for that but i think you guys you know, i'm definitely brett you're probably at like six or seven yeah i think uh i think i'm two hands now <laughs> so you guys are definitely uh, uh friends of the shows we'll, we'll call the elite club so um people have to know who you are at this point even if they don't listen to the show you guys have just been making a whole lot of noise here in cincinnati um, hate us or mildly dislike us. We're here. <laughs> I I don't know that I've I've met anybody that uh, hates what you guys are doing. I think that there are a lot of people that are surprised that it worked as well as it did. I know there were a lot of people when you guys were getting ready to open that said that this just couldn't work. How oh, Cincinnati's not you know not a good enough beer city to support a brewery that's going to do wild and and tart beer. It just it can't work. And um, watching how not only has it worked but how. E- it's evolved just enough to um, become something really, really great and really special. And um, it's been fun to watch. It's been a lot of fun to be a part of it. And, you know, those people weren't necessarily entirely wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, been a, it's been an uphill climb, uh, uh, an elevation of, of the Cincinnati palette, if you will. Uh, and people aren't entirely wrong when they say wild and sour isn't really possible uh, Wild and sour together, great. Sour by itself, great. Uh, what we have found through a lot of trial and error is wild just isn't nearly as popular as we'd like it to be. It's just um, it's a style without that acidity that's just really intensely flavor forward, and it doesn't have necessarily that balance brought on by the acidity that kind of makes it work in people's minds. And um, it's something we do a way lot less of. 
do you think that's a problem with the actual you know wild beer itself or is it a problem just with people's expectations when they come into a place like urban artifact they're expecting something that's sour that's a great question and it's i think it's a little bit of both i think in general you don't see very many just wild only beers in the marketplace because people come to expect acidity when they smell those smells i know at least like uh, in my mind that's the first thing that happens you smell that like Brett L kind of like uh, sweaty, goaty character, and you're like, oh, man, I'm in for a, a tart treat. And then if it's just a wild beer, it's not. And, you know, maybe you're a little let down, maybe not. Um, but it seems to be that those flavors are a lot harder to grasp um, perceptionally. And then same with our taproom. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think people have gotten to the point where they come in and they expect our beers to have some level of moderate to intense tartness, and the wild beers just don't have it. Well, you know, even the beers that aren't necessarily wild, you know, Milkman, we um, had some people over uh, the other night, and we, we cracked open a, a can of Milkman, and they were tasting, oh, this doesn't taste sour. And I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's technically, it's got lacto in it, but I mean, it's, it's not an in-your-face sour tart beer. It's not biting. But that was the expectation when people saw Urban Artifact, this is supposed to be sour. So, I mean, it... it there's there's both sides to it. Is it good or is it bad? Is it you know you want people to form that expectation when they walk into Urban Artifact or or not? I don't, I don't know. It's it's a marketing debate uh, and something that we talk about a lot. And it's 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 a fun challenge to figure out. And uh, I think something that we've been learning is just that customer expectations need to be managed. And um, you know beers like Milkman which we find fantastic. Uh, people beer. have come to really know us, you know, for these really intensely sour, these big fruit forward flavors. And, uh, you know, next year we're probably going to roll Milkman down to just a taproom only release and something else will be coming in a spot that fits kind of more of that intensely sour, uh, f- flavor, decadent, intense range. So, right. Um, it's, I don't know. I mean, there's there's definitely good sides and bad sides to it. You know, when you walk up to a shelf and you see a beer from you guys that you haven't had before, to have some kind of expectation can be a good thing. But then, I don't know. I, it's fun. Yeah, I'm sure the, the conversation can can, uh, can last a really long time trying to figure those kind of things out. And um, I'll leave it up to you guys to figure that out. <laughs> it seems to be working pretty good so far. I, uh, um, there hasn't been... A lot of beers that you guys have released that I've noticed people say, well, this, you know, overwhelmingly people say this, oh, this kind of missed the mark. I think you guys have hit a lot of home runs this year. But, uh, yeah, and I think, I mean, a lot of that really goes to our first year and a half of draft only. Like right. we were, we dumped plenty of batches. We tried a bunch of different stuff and we really found our footing. So there wasn't necessarily made the wide touch points, you know, on draft as, as it is in package. So we already kind of figured out a lot of those things, which I think helped immensely when we finally made it to that step to bring in the cans and bottles and things like that. Does it, does it make you nervous for kind of the, the future, you know, the next, the next year and the years after that, you know, there's, there's this now this whole new expectation that's been built of what a package release from urban artifact is, I think from a from a brewing standpoint, it's exciting. Uh, we did a lot of new recipes this year. Uh, basically, all of the Midwest fruit tarts were all new. Uh, a couple of them made comebacks from the previous year, but 
very few repeats. Uh, so it was a lot of kind of swinging for the fences and really hitting it for a lot of these. And I'm excited for the years to come to kind of, especially 2018 is really just hone and perfect. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun from that standpoint. And then we can really focus on making each event the best possible that we can. So we got a couple changes coming to how we do, you know, kind of bottle releases and variant releases next year. And we kind of got our uh, lineup a little bit more fine-tuned. And uh, it should be a really fun year of, uh, of Urban Artifact beers. A lot of fan favorites will be coming back next year. Uh, as far as the, the Midwest Fruit Tarts, which is a whole conversation in itself <laughs> that I, I absolutely love, um, you know, only you guys would have the balls to create your own style here in Cincinnati. <laughs> we get tired of trying to like mix together styles it's like no no this is what it is it is its own thing and that's for sure are are all of those that we had this year coming back or are there going to be some of those that kind of change around a little bit uh i think most of them are coming back i think we are tweaking a couple uh like hippodrome's getting dropped for next year uh, which was our wild double ipa and that's getting replaced with something new uh and then we'll maybe switch a couple months on some of these releases, but I think most everything's coming back, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. All the Midwest fruit tarts will return that made it to a large-scale batch. Now, there was right. some small-scale stuff that was taproom-only that is not likely, but there will be other small-scale taproom-only ones that will show up. And then, you know, we'll see really what 2019 holds because <clears throat> there's a prevailing thought that, you know, a lot of uh, seasonals only have a certain shelf life in terms of number of years that they're viable in the market. Um, maybe we we make these Midwest fruit tarts that are they exceed that, but <coughs> what I what I think is so interesting about the the thing that I love and hate about them is that so far it seems like all of them are flying off the shelves as soon as they get on there. So it's a seasonal that you've got to get to your your retailer or here to the tap room and grab them as soon as they're released or else you're going to miss it this year. And so it doesn't, it's not, it's not necessarily the seasonal that is just in your face all season for three or four months or whatever it is. Um, yeah, we don't, I mean, we don't, what try I love to, and hate about <laughs> we don't try to run them. Like I guess your typical, typical seasonal would be for a brewery and that it's meant to be there, you know, in and out in essentially a week at our distributor and going to accounts and on the shelf because we want you to drink it fresh. Right. Like that is why we produce it at the quantities that we do is that it it is meant to be drank fresh. Well, and, you know, the it, it seems to me like for a really long time like that – that education side of, you know, you know, most beers meant to be drank fresh was going really strong for a long time. And maybe it's just the people I'm hanging out with now, but it seems like there's this weird shift now where everybody's saving stuff and waiting and trying to sell it in their basement. And, um, I don't, I mean, it, it, do you guys see that where, where people are trying to hold on to some of these and longer than they probably should? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I don't I don't get really excited when I see like posts on Facebook and stuff like people trying to trade like Whirly Gig squeeze or box. squeeze box <laughs> and I'm like uh like why do you still have that? That should have been drank, you know, six months ago when it was fresh and tasting the best. But you know, teach their own. Yeah. We can only do so much. Yeah, I think the bigger issue, at least with the Midwest fruit tarts and things like that and the variants of those is that 
there's a perception that, and it's it's true, a, a true fruited barrel-aged sour you can age for, you know, who knows how long, let's say up to five years. Right. And trying to educate consumers now that this is not that. It's it's different than escapement or something like that, That which I drank at the, uh, at the block party. Oh, and although yeah. I got it right when it was tapped and it was very smoothie-like, it <laughs> was freaking delicious. <laughs> I was picking raspberry seeds out of my teeth. Nice, nice. Um, uh, we've got beer in front of us, so let's uh, do my favorite segment, which From the beer fridge. is probably 75% of the reason that I do the show every single week, because it gives me an excuse to go out on a Monday night and have a beer, even though my wife is at home, probably with a screaming baby. So <laughs> what, do, what do we have here? Uh, so we we got three beers here that we'll be drinking tonight, um, and then I thought it would be nice if we started off with Fusey. We still have a couple bottles left in the tap room, but this is basically... Uh, our base beer for the rest of our like fruited sours, uh, the Dino series that have been coming out, which is this new series of 100%, 100% spontaneous <coughs> beers. Uh, so this beer is itself 100% spontaneous, uh, just sans fruit. So it's a small okay. little cuvee we did to kind of test our process, test how these things hold up in bottles and kind of see what we were doing before we kind of one all in on these heavily fruited uh, spontaneous beers. So before and before we taste it, which I hate saying, but before we taste it, you know, let's kind of. So what's the difference between you know these spontaneous fermented beers versus something like the St. Anthony's Quad or something like that, where there was still wild yeast being pulled into it? I don't. I don't know if people. Yeah, that's a good question. So. So like the St. Anthony's one where we did incorporate wild yeast. Well, we went up to the shrine. We caught a bunch of wild yeast. We brought it back. We brewed a beer, uh, a base quad with normal brewer's yeast like you would any other beer, any other brewery. And then we added in the wild yeast to it, threw it in a barrel and let it age and kind of get funky uh, through that. Now, the reason we did that and the reason we do some beers like that is because it increases consistency uh, and it makes the turnaround time a lot quicker. So I can brew a beer in that normal two- to three-week time, get it into a barrel, get the, some wild cultures on it, and then usually within three to six months, uh, they've had enough time to process what little sugar's still in there, kind of do their thing a little bit, dry the beer out, and get it a little bit uh, funky without getting too crazy. So it's this really nice mix of, like, standard brewing practices and wild yeast where I can turn around barrels fairly quickly. So that's... Like, um, so we have a beer coming out this weekend, uh, on the 16th called cherry pie. And that's basically the same process. Right. We take our cherry goza, uh, and chariot, which has already been fermented out and dry and clean and all that, throw it into a, a wine barrel, hit it with wild yeast, and then throw a ton more cherries at it. Uh, and then it kind of gets funky and dries out over the next six months and then we're good to go. So it's a speed up process. Now where a hundred percent is... 100% spontaneous fermentation is only those wild yeast and bacteria that we caught that we didn't, we don't isolate out. We don't do anything. It's all mixed fermentation and it's all done. Uh, the majority of it's done in the barrel. So we'll brew like normal. We'll uh, collect all that wort. We'll fill up these barrels and we'll hit it with this wild culture. And then that takes up to like three years to get ready. So the, the, what we're drinking now has been in the barrel for about two years and change. And this is a combination of uh, Green Man and Day Man, I believe, which are two of our three base sour beers. So you've got the, the you talk the three base beers. You have one that's rye based, oat based, and wheat based. Yes. 
Um, I've got notes in front of me. Don't don't <laughs> don't look like you're surprised. Don't cheat. <laughs> um, so I assume Dayman is the wheat. Yes. Um, Nightman would be rye. Uh, Nightman is actually oats. Oats. I was close. I, that's not in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so those those three kind of base beers, um, they become. They they get blended together for different recipes, or they stay kind of their own thing and hit with different cultures. This is probably getting really geeky. I, I hope everybody is. Uh... Yeah, so it, it depends. Uh, it depends on the beer. And for this one, for instance, like it, this was a blend because this is what we found tasted best blending get Dayman and, and Green Man. Um, but like uh, the Dino Beer Bay Piawasaurus that came out, that was only Green Man. And the one coming out this weekend, I believe, is only Dayman. So we just found those to be better on their own with the fruit than they were as a as a cuvee, which this is. And then as far as like what bugs we'll use, it really just depends on what we currently have as far as our inventory. Is something like, do we have too many beers that are too funky and not tart enough? We might pick a culture that we know is going to be more tart or vice versa. So it really just depends. So how how many cultures do you guys have at any given time? Because I assume that they kind of they change on their own too over time. It's probably not something that's that's stable that you can just have a whole fridge full of the same thing forever. It's going to kind of yes get a little spontaneous. We have uh, four really uh, the major like ninety eighty to ninety percent of our barrels that are one hundred percent spontaneous are one of four cultures or maybe a blend of of wild caught cultures and then the rest ten percent are things that we're trying out that are new or different and then we have a backlog of like I think I have like twenty jars that are ready to go and like be propped up into these wild uh, spontaneous pitches that we'll then be able to use well I mean I have more questions off of that but let's try this first. <laughs> Uh, you know, I was sipping it while we were talking, so I cheated a little bit. But um, super effervescent. It's got like this really great little, um, I, I don't know a good word for it, like a tang mm-hmm. that, that hits that's that's different than, you know, I, we're, we're right off of a really fun weekend with uh, Street Sides Barrel Age Sour, which was a great wine barrel age sour. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But when you try something like this that has that, that, that that little that there's a little snap inside there that that's very different that tastes like um outside i guess is the best <laughs> way to put it if that makes sense um, it's 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 fantastic it's it, it, one of those beers that i think you could kind of convert wine drinkers really easily over to beer with yeah yeah it does kind of have a oh, almost a, like a white grape uh type quality to it um and it, it's it's something that I found that a lot of the cultures that we're, we've been catching locally, they don't get funky. So I'm I'm sure you've had plenty of sour beers. We all have that are like this traditional kind of Belgian influenced uh, funk where it's very Brett forward uh, with a really strong uh, lactic present. Well, what we've kind of found that we've been catching locally is like these weird, really tame, more kind of fruity, like pear and peach and kind of apple-like esters, uh, much less than just like in-your-face funk. A little bit of that outside-y kind of uh, like wet leaf, kind of fresh fall day kind of uh, taste. Out, I like that outdoor. Um, but it's just really, it's a lot different. And the, the acidity, while, while present, isn't like overbearing. Well, the, the, the dryness of it's fun because it, it finishes pretty clean as far as the, 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 the lactic side of it. 
but then you're left with that 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 fruity kind of outdoorsy kind of thing that just that you can still taste it but you don't have that that big sour note that kind of hangs out the whole time afterwards too like it's a it's a really neat beer i want to want to try it with food i want to try you know, like this is this is a this is a neat beer and this is something as scotty was saying that does age well this is you know this is all the live all the cultures are live in it they're all wild there's yeast there's bacteria in there this is all good stuff this could sit in your cellar for another i don't know i mean like uh was it boone um they have like a 30 year best buy date on their bottles i mean <laughs> i wouldn't necessarily go that long but you could easily push a decade but it's it's also an experiment for you guys too and that you know you you don't know what's going to happen with it in in a decade or what because it's 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 a living thing it's a spontaneous thing you 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 know nobody's made beer with this this bacteria or these these bugs before you know well i can't say nobody's ever done it that we know of <laughs> it's That's very possible <laughs> it's just it's actually fun just seeing the maturation in this beer in only three months four months since it was released at Waterfest. i mean phenomenal like it's it's gotten it's gotten even better yeah i'm really digging it right now too it's it's uh it's really coming into its own as a as a beer and i'm we're really excited about it and once it's gone, it'll this will probably be the last of Fuzi for forever, probably. But um, you can expect more dinosaur type beers to be coming out, and this may eventually get a slightly different blend, and we might rebrand it as something else. But for the time being, you won't see this. Are we going to see most of the the spontaneous stuff get fruit, or are we going to see other stuff down the line that that is just kind of a, a base beer like this to kind of give people some kind of uh, some kind of vision of where it comes from, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that didn't work out necessarily with a Goza. I loved the, when, when, uh, when Harrow was on tap because you had that base. And I know that the, 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 the mass of Cincinnati may have not cared about the, the regular Harrow once it was next to pinwheel or something, you know, but I gotta, I want, I think Harrow might be making a small return in 2018. Uh, I would like to at least see it in the tap room for a little bit. Uh, so we'll see. I love being able to do those comparisons back and forth between some beers and kind of see that um, uh, that, that progress from from A to B to to whatever. Yeah, I'd, I'd really it, it is a lot of fun and it's cool to see because especially since it's the same base beer, how it kind of changes and little tweaks can make it taste so seemingly different between gozos. And it's all the same base beer. We do the same recipe for everything. Um, <laughs> Maybe a couple minor tweaks for slide rule, obviously, but like in, in salt levels, we'll kind of push and pull a little. But um, yeah, I think that'll be make a return. Uh, as far as the fruit for the Dino series go, uh, you know, I don't know. What do you want to see? Maybe we'll do uh, keep. <laughs> we're gonna obviously skew very fruit heavy, and those beers are all start at five pounds per gallon uh, minimum of fruit, which is just insane. Uh, we literally have to take a single oak barrel of beer split it into two different barrels and then we fill both those barrels all the way to the brim with fruit and then at the end of it we'll combine them back into one barrel and we still only get about 60 gallons of liquid out of it but you get this just super over the top intense fresh fruit taste and flavor well i mean in the blog post that that josh wrote kind of about the spontaneous fermentation i don't remember what the actual number that he said of tons of fruit that went into what, the four barrels or something that was made of of uh, the, the the two dino beers, but it was kind of an insane number that you, know, you think about all of this fresh fruit just being packed into these beers, and I don't think people realize what 
goes into the. Uh, what, maybe people do. Maybe maybe you guys have been that shift and people kind of figuring out what goes into it. I don't know. I, I, I'm, we we try to put the amount of fruit that we use on a batch in on the labels to for that reason. We think it's a really cool number to see and it's really neat and uh, hopefully people are you know realizing that like. It is a lot of fruit, and it does make a difference, and it is a different flavor profile than flavorings or extracts. And while one might not inherently be better than the other, I think there is a, a inherent better product. So, well, and, and, and I've noticed, too, when other breweries are releasing beers with actual fruit or, or not actual fruit, um, sometimes you like to chime in and ask the question of how much fruit went into this. And and I think there's there's something very valuable. We'll use the side of the people who are using real fruit yeah. to saying that's great. You guys are real using real fruit, you know, tell everybody how much went into this. Tell, you know, tell us this process. And, and, and before we head too far down that wormhole, <laughs> I've seen the biggest response in folks when you, when you have like a relative measure. So when we can compare, I can compare to the goes of fruiting rate to a Midwest fruit tart. And then even a Midwest fruit tart to one of the dino series beers, like that's where the big impact right. is where I can say, mm-hmm. Hey, slide rules a pound per gallon of raspberries gadget is two and a half. Two and a half, yeah, two point six or something, two point yeah. seven pounds of raspberries and blackberries, and people are like, oh, that's when their eyes really bug out. The the biggest way I've been able to kind of show people this is just pour them a glass of love letter, and <laughs> when you see that glass afterwards with that coating <laughs> on it, and it's like you, you just drank a half a peach, <laughs> you know, like to like to put that into into some kind of um, visual for people, <laughs> I think is is pretty powerful. So talking about you know going back to talking about the spontaneous fermentation side and the um i don't know the the consistency of it the the process that goes into that you know we saw pretty early on you guys collecting lots of uh, wild cultures around town and starting that process mm-hmm. and then you know I, you guys have said like maybe a little more than one percent of those actually end up as anything that could possibly be used for something yes um, on the other, the, the, the tail side of it, once those cultures have been uh, harvested, what do we, what do we, yeah, <laughs> once, like once they've that. been collected <laughs> and they, they do get into a beer in a barrel, is that side of it fairly consistent to where you guys have, have tamed that, that, that culture enough that you kind of know what it's going to do? or Kind of. Kind of. It sets us up for very good success for a lot of the barrels. And there's still barrel variation, like a, a decent amount. Um, and so maybe that some of that's coming off the fruit because we don't often or ever pasteurize the fruit coming in for barrels. We'll bring in whole fruit for that. And we'll freeze it to kind of break some of those cell walls and help uh, flavor extraction. But we won't ever cook it. It's all fresh fruit, stays fresh, and I think that kind of adds a little bit of uh, this unknown factor. So we see some variation barrel to barrel, but for the most part, we know we'll get a good product. It just is like what is going to be the predominant flavors in it. So that will tweak a little bit. There's been some dumpers here and there, which I think is maybe just because the barrel itself was bad, or I don't know, maybe maybe the bung blew off and we didn't catch it in time and it was like two days later and we fun- someone finally sees it but now there's fruit flies in it and so now you got an acetic acid problem and now the whole barrel's ruined. So there's some weird variation here and there but for the most part, like if you get a good culture, you take care of it well, you keep the temperatures in check, you keep the barrels in a decently humid environment, you're going to have some good success. I mean, in in, in my head up until 
you know, the last year or so here, you know, when people said spontaneous fermentation, I just had this vision in my head. It's, you know, the, the Belgian brewery and they open the roof and whatever the hell blows in, blows in, and then they close it up and it ferments perfectly. And that's just in my head. That's what it always was. And I, I, logically I look at it like, well, no, that's, that, that can't be the case. You know, there's gotta be more to it than that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's fantastic that you guys are here in Cincinnati, Ohio, kind of teaching this huge, you know, breadth of, of craft beer drinkers, kind of what, what it, I mean, not necessarily what it always is. I'm sure there are people doing it some very different ways, but what it can be and how you can, how you can use some of that uncertainty to build something that then has some more certainty to it. Does, it, does any of that make sense? The way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it is all about kind of that t- taming the wild aspect and, and just letting it do its thing and us kind of help corralling it in the right way. And yeah. Was there ever a fear that this wouldn't work? Um, no, not really. I mean, um, at least as far as like the liquid tasting good, the, the fear of people not accepting it was always there and still kind of is to this day. Uh, you know, people turn and change on an instant. So there's, that's always there. But like the fact that like these Belgians can do it and they didn't know what the heck they were doing, you know, 400 years ago and they're still able to crank out this good stuff. It makes me feel confident in the fact that we have modern biological practices and we have microscopes and we have, we have different uh, assays we can use to, to, you know, test this product and see what we're working with and, and use modern science to make great products. So if anything, I was very confident in the fact that we could make this work and make it taste good. Well, um, there had to be some kind of, that was a long process from the day you guys opened to when even the the first barrels started rolling out, there had to be a lot of people in your guys's lives that were like, "Hey, you guys, are you, are you sure about this? You know, do you are you sure you don't want to make you know just an IPA and you know just you know put it out in cans or something for like?" There had to be those people that didn't believe in it, right? Oh, a lot <laughs> from the very beginning. Like even family members were like. I don't know about sour beer. I don't know what that is. That doesn't sound good. I don't like that. But this is that. That's why we have the identity that we do, though, because we didn't. We didn't listen to that. We didn't budge on that, and we just kept strong with what our vision was. Like that. That was probably the maybe easiest and yet most challenging thing to do, because I mean, you know, we we left easy sales on the table essentially because. We didn't just brew, you know, a golden ale or we didn't just brew an IPA or we didn't just brew whatever the flavor of the month was. We stayed true to what our, our style was. Well, and, and throughout this whole process, you've still maintained a tap room that has live music seven nights a week, which, again, shouldn't work in a, in a brewery that shouldn't, you know, exist. There's, there's lots of things about stuff that you guys have done that just doesn't. I mean, not that it doesn't make sense, but it doesn't make sense. <laughs> and like it, and to me, that's the, the it's wild, a, the wild culture of the whole thing is it's like, a Christmas it's, miracle. <laughs> so there we go. Christmas so, show. There, there it is. <laughs> Tied in. I mean, it really comes down to like the feedback and listening and seeing how things work, what's working and tweaking and adjusting. Like nothing is exactly the same as when we started, whether you're talking music, whether we're talking beer, um, just nothing is exactly the same. That's where the old Midwest fruit tart style came from. We didn't, uh, we didn't create that. That that was a thing that uh, 
our customers in the tap room wanted, and that they they're the ones who pushed for it to happen. Like uh, when we first brewed the gadget, which was the first Midwest fruit tart we made, uh, we were just talking with our bartenders and like, hey, what uh, what do people want? What are customers asking for? Well, they want really sour, and they want really fruity. Well, okay, we'll do both those, and then the gadget was born, and then from there, it's kind of just been. Uh, full steam ahead on this this weird uh journey was was that the point like to you guys that all of a sudden some kind of light went off and you kind of saw this grand vision of you know i mean the the midwest fruit tarts once a month had to be kind of at that point right where it was like oh my god we can we need to do more of these we need to they need to be in packaging they need to be on shelves they need to be something that people can get on this consistent basis whereas you know these the barrels it's you don't know when that kind of stuff is going to be ready yeah it was i mean to some extent but i think it to for me at least personally it took a couple of those large-scale batches so the gadget was a full 60 barrel batch that was our first six-pack bottle format yes yeah and um you know i was talking to our distributor and he was like, well, our brand manager, he's like, well, I don't know about this many cases. I was like, just, just trust me. Just, <laughs> he didn't pick up the full allotment at the, the first pickup, but it was all sold in a day. And then he was sending another truck two days later to pick up the rest of it because of how well it was doing. Just how excited people were to have that on the shelf. And then the pull through was there, which is more important. Um, so like that was that was to me like an indication, and then we brewed Squeezebox next, and we sold through that entire batch and package just in our tap room in less than a week. Squeezebox with the variants too, which I think opens up a whole nother door of what the the Midwest fruit tart releases can be. You know, to to have that. I I, I don't know who it was that did. Um, there was an article where um, somebody was talking about the flavor bible. I don't know if that was George or. Um, it's, it's a brilliant book that, that I've always used for beer and food pairing. Oh, no kidding. I love the book. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's fantastic to, you know, you drink a beer and then you say, here's what I taste. And you write that down and then you go in and all right, here's some other weird things that might go good with those flavors that you wouldn't think of otherwise. And, um, but to think of it in this, this whole other realm of, all right, here's a Midwest fruit tart that tastes like this, 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 and this. Building off of that, we can put this with it and this with it and just really kind of play with these ideas and try different things. And each year that it's released, it'll come out with something different. And like it, 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 there's a, that's a really fun idea to me. And I, I don't see a lot of places playing with that on regular releases. I mean, you, granted, you see, you know, with, you know, Dark Charge Day just happened and they do variants every year. And, mm-hmm. But it's, it's variants on the same beer and it's variants on the same flavor. And to have something like this where it's, on a consistent basis, it's 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 different. It's fun. It, it I don't know why everybody doesn't do it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of fun creatively for the the brewers. I mean, we get to flex our uh, flavor muscles, so to speak. And it's a it's a lot of work, though. So I guess I could see why people don't want to do it. It's not only a lot of work from the operation standpoint, but branding and marketing all that is just it's a lot. Like new labels for every single thing. Uh, it's uh it takes some time. Um, new labels with, you know, you talk about the marketing and the branding of it with the, the, the variant animals, as I call them, which, again, I love that you can see a label 
and kind of know what those flavors are without having to sit there and, and flip it around and read what they put into it. Like I think you might have been one of the first people to pick up on that, or at I, least uh, vocalize it. I, I, I have a whole page on the website that, that's a cheat sheet to the variant animals, which kind of shifts and changes as as each one is released. You start to figure out what that core is of it. I, yeah. I think it's fun. I love it. It opens up this whole other side of, you know, I, I love the, the marketing and the branding of, of beer. I think it's an underappreciated um, side of things, so. There's probably going to be a whole show on that in the very near future. So. Oh, there definitely should be. I mean, like you look at, you just look at some of these breweries out here who all are kind of doing very similar things, and you look at the ones that are on the top of the heap, and it's it's not necessarily because the liquid's that much better. It's but it's, something is. Yeah, it's it's amazing when you kind of take a step back and look at what some of these places are doing to separate themselves. Um, let's. I mean, we're we're already open something else, but let's take a quick break and then we'll talk more. <laughs> We're rolling through this show like crazy. Um, let's take a quick break, um, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about cherry pie. We'll be back. Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. Mm-hmm. Never hit me back. I don't know what happened to him. You know, there's no need to be up tight. <laughs> beer, beer is about having fun. The dream, the dream is definitely the fact that we went from homebrewing in a garage to where we are today, right? That is, that is the dream. Where we go from here, sister we're gonna, we're gonna continue so, to figure out as we grow. Uh, we, uh, and we don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. Who's that? Do what? Who is that that you're talking? Can you have more fun with your clothes on? I don't think so. You're listening to Cincy Brewcast. The voice of Cincy Craft. I haven't talked to them in a while. I hope they're doing okay. They haven't hurt. I haven't seen them in forever. This is Steve Shaw. This is Eric Bosler. Hi, my name is Kamel Nagy. Hey, y'all. This is March Sean first. This is Brett Coleman Baker. Hi, I'm Scott LaFollette. Hi, this is Evan Rouse. Cellar Dweller. I didn't know Ben was at Old Firehouse. Urban Artifact Brewing. Blanks did here at Braxton Brewing Company in Covington, Kentucky. Hopefully they're doing okay then. In Northside. In Hamilton, Ohio. Bellevue, Kentucky. Tomorrow, Ohio. You're listening to Cincy Brewcast. Cincy Brewcast. You're listening to Cincy Brewcast. Three core the beers. Voice. That's all the voice. Really the voice things, of Cincy Craft. Push to that next level. Hi, this is Mike Stokes from Cincy Brew Bus. Cincinnati's craft beer scene is growing, and we want to take you to those locations. Here at Cincy Brew Bus, we love to introduce people to craft beer here locally in Cincinnati. We have an amazing craft beer scene. We have lots of routes to choose from, and a lot of different places we can visit. Cincy Brew Bus is Cincinnati's premier and original craft brewery tour. We're the number one rated tour for breweries on TripAdvisor. We're the number one rated food and drink experience on TripAdvisor, yes. and we're also oh, number two total tour DB's? overall on TripAdvisor here for Cincinnati. At Cincy Brew Bus, we provide a VIP tour experience for the novice and for the uh, expert craft beer. I drinker. worry about a lot of places. We like to take you out, show you how the beer is made, tell you about Cincinnati's about rich brewing history, and at the same time, have fun, like, or, do some trivia, uh, and drink some locally made fresh craft I don't know. beer. People, people like to say a lot of things. The actions. Um, I look at I look yeah. at the Bud Light drinkers out there. There's a you know a forest to be harvested. They're all out there. And you know, have you heard of anything from Scott? Really? Yeah. 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 You don't, you don't ever hear so much about Chris. So see you next time. I'm going to put the bottle release down there for Black Friday. You were listening to Cincy for a minute, the voice of Cincy Crack. You know how he is sometimes. He just kind of. Seemed like he was happy, but I don't know. Yeah. 
I didn't talk. This could either be like a really great thing, and he could just be like, oh, this is nice to not have to worry about all that other stuff. Or it could be like, it's We're back. Sensi Brewcast, the voice of Sensi Craft. Merry Christmas! <laughs> this, is, this is the most non-Christmas show that I think uh, any podcast has ever done. Well, no, it's not even Christmas. There's plenty of non-Christmas shows that people do. But <laughs> non-Christmas show with a Christmas intro. Um, well, speaking of, speaking of Christmas, we're drinking a very nice red beer. It's kind of a, a, a pink. Um, yeah. This is... The color that you get from real cherries and not um, something else, I assume. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. I really, I I, I kind of expected more. Uh, we put uh, a pound and a half per gallon of cherries into Chariot, and then we took that beer, put it into a barrel, and then added another five pounds per gallon for a total of six and a half pounds per gallon of cherries in this beer. And it just, I I really expected it just to be like this deep red intensely colored thing but it, it just not these the the montmorencies that we used are just um they're a little bit lighter flesh color and they just didn't impart a ton of color but the the flavor is all there it's it's pretty though like it's it's not like a bright red kind of color but it's it's i mean it's gorgeous and what gives it the, uh, the 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 pie crust smell that i get is it completely just in my head looking at the bottle with the picture of the pie uh, I think some of it is a little bit of that perception and uh, expectation management, but we did use uh, a fair amount of cinnamon in this um, to kind of help push that flavor forward. And then it, it does. Uh, so our label is not entirely accurate in that the microflora in here, there's a little bit of wild yeast in here as well. Um, we had a little cross contamination uh, brewer mistake happened, which actually worked out pleasantly nice. So we were never planning on making this barrel aged goza like also wild, but now it's it's got a little bit of a wildness to it that I think adds this really nice depth of kind of that bready. might be part of it too. The yes, yeah, that that the funkiness on the nose. For yeah, sure. I what, think the cinnamon and the funkiness help this. Like, what kind of barrels was this? Uh, this was actually a, a blend of two different barrels. We used um, bourbon barrels that used to house uh, thoroughbred, and then we rinsed them and refilled them with chariot, and then we had first-use wine barrels that weren't filled with anything before that we filled up, and then we blended those two. So you're not going to get any bourbon uh, flavor off of it. Uh, maybe a hair, but I feel like that might just be in your, anyone's head who picks it up. And uh, but So it's more like neutral oak and then a little bit of tannic red wine flavor too. Again, a really fun beer. Like I, uh, my fear with a lot of these um, Goza variants or the Midwest fruit tarts is that people aren't sitting down to like take their time and really like dig into these. These are fantastic. <laughs> I mean, like there is such a huge range of flavors that you get out of this that if you're crack open a bottle in a line chair, whenever you're cracking yours open, I feel like you're going to miss out so much on some of these beers. Like this should be a first beer of the night, only beer of the night kind of thing where you're just sitting here and like, like just, just digging through these bottles there. I mean, they're amazing. I, I, I would probably tell anybody who I was sitting in their brewery drinking their beer, that the beer is amazing <laughs> to be honest, because it all is kind of amazing. But I mean, this is, um, you you can call it chariot on steroids, but this just this 
makes me forget about Chariot 100%. <laughs> yeah, and that's why we didn't want to call it, like, you know, Wine Barrel Age Chariot, because right. it's not the same beer anymore. It's it's this whole other experience, and it's got this depth of flavor to it that you don't uh, necessarily get nor may even want from Chariot. Chariot's supposed to be a super crushable fall goza. It doesn't have to be your first beer, only beer of the day. <laughs> it should be maybe your first, second, third, and eighth. <laughs> right. Like, uh yeah, where this is, you know, it's it's got that intensity of flavor that isn't quite there, and um, yeah, it's something we're pretty stoked about. The uh, the aroma is what gets me on this one. There's just there's a lot going on there. Yes, yeah, with the the spice blend, we put more vanilla in here too, combined with all that fruit and that little bit of funkiness. It, uh, it really is this melange of of depth of flavors that just work well together. First time I think melange has been used on the show. I should, whenever we have bread on, I should have a bell that I can hit every time he uses a word that we have never used before on the <laughs> show. So there's always a couple. Uh, this will age really nice too. If if anyone's interested in picking up a bottle now and then for some later, because this this has uh, some wild bugs still in it. So if you want to age it, this is an ager. So we keep talking about these being released, and we haven't even talked about when all that's happening either. We need to kind of talk about that. So the. The last big release of the year, the December release, what is it, the sixteenth? Uh, Two days ago. <laughs> it's yeah. a, Talking to the future, <laughs> attractive. Um, the uh, you're releasing how many here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ten. Is that eleven bottles? Did I count that right? Hmm, One, I thought two, it was three, ten. But I always four, four five, 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 six, six, pocket watch seven, still on that list? eight, nine, ten. Um, no, pocket watch is not. Okay, good. Yeah, um, ten. I think we. Um, that. you've got, um, the milkman variants. So, so the kind of the, the December beer is what I, what I like to call milkman. It's the, um, you've got the, the variants that went along with the, the cans that were already released. You've got the mole, um, which is a mole. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't pass that up. <laughs> Milk and cookies. Mocha espresso, breakfast sausage, and pastry stout. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are all um, the variant bottles. I'm not sure what a pastry stout is, but I think we got it. Um, Uh, I I see that term a lot. I don't know. Maybe maybe you could tell me. I I mean, I I I I have no idea what any styles are anymore. (laughs) The only one that I know of is Midwest Fruit Tart Ale. It's the only one I know what it means. Um, Sweet. Job well done. The the barrel-aged side of it, though, which I think is the one that people are really getting kind of excited about and and starting to kind of... You guys see what they're doing over here and and, and this this spontaneous fermentation thing that's going on with the Dinosaur Series. So the second Dinosaur Series is Pteranodon, which is Peaches. And we've seen lots of teasing about that for um, a long time. <laughs> yeah, since like July, right? <laughs> um, uh, cherry pie, which is what we're tasting now. Uh, and then we have rye barrel spice cake, um, which is um, rye barrel stout with vanilla beans, nutmeg, cocoa, star anise, orange zest, cinnamon. So it's a laundry list. It's a, but again, a, a, a perfect winter beer if I've ever heard of one. You guys oh, do it's so winter good. beers very good. Um, and then the two barrel-aged variants of Slide Rule, which, mm-hmm. again, don't, you know, I, I, if if this is any kind of um, uh, indicator of, of, of how close it sits with Slide Rule, it's a whole different kind of world. Ornament and 
how do I pronounce a semi 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 I mean, I sure. use the American version. <laughs> um, ornament is uh, chocolate, raspberry, and fresh orange zest. So um, I'm thinking one of those orange yeah. things that you break yeah, open, but orange, with raspberry, but raspberry chocolate orange, raspberry chocolate orange. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does not exist, but it should. Um, it, does it really not exist? Because I feel like it should. No, you have to break two of them apart and then reassemble. <laughs> <laughs> they really don't sell one that mixes both together because I know they sell raspberry ones they do. and I know they sell orange ones. They do. Have you Googled it to make sure it doesn't exist? Definitely. This is crazy. <laughs> Mind blown. Um, Get on this the, box. The semi Fredo is um, has what an extra dose of vanilla beans. So chocolate raspberry with vanilla beans. Really, what's um, become a criminal amount of vanilla beans, given the current state of the vanilla bean market? Um, but yes, yeah. So yeah. You guys, like if you don't realize, vanilla how many beans, vanilla beans do you guys use in this this national market of vanilla beans? You have to be making some kind of a mark on things. We <laughs> use pounds and pounds. It's just insane how much vanilla that we end up going through. Uh, we probably end up. Uh, I buy about. I buy five pounds at a shot, which is about fifteen hundred bucks. Uh, it's, it's about three hundred dollars a pound right now. Um, and I'll buy. I'll go. We'll probably go through a pound, to two pounds a month. Uh, so we're 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 cruising through some vanilla beans. Uh, and being the second most expensive spice in the world, it's not like uh, <laughs> it's not the best th- thing ever. But well, it's and, totally good. And a lot of people would tell you that it's just as good to use a vanilla extract and say you're crazy for using whole vanilla beans. And mm-hmm. uh, that's what makes it all so brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. And then we get to, like, extract to extract. I mean, yeah, I guess you can get you can get custom ones blended. But most people, you get you get whatever extract you can that meets, meets uh, TTB requirements. Like, we're, uh, we can kind of shop the market around. Do we want Madagascar... Or do we want Tahitian? Or do we want Mexican? Do you want to go with the bourbon vanilla beans? Or, you know, there's a whole bunch of different ones. And it's fun that we get to kind of pick and choose and play with that. How much of a difference between all of the different vanilla beans is there? It's akin to, like, the differences in different, like, single-origin coffees. It's it's on the same level. There is a lot of difference. Uh, some of them, like, are more, like, maybe, like, a little chocolatier. Others might be, like this generic kind of sweetness and then others are your typical kind of like oak and vanilla like what people think of when they think of like vanilla extract it, it really is this huge gamut of flavors uh, that range from mild to very intense um and we've we've often found that depending on what we're trying to go for if we're just going for like a rounding out of flavors and kind of generic like bringing the fruit flavor that we're highlighting up we're going to want to go with a very mild vanilla but if we're calling out it's actually vanilla like owler We'll use the most intense vanilla that we can get. How does that work with the the fruit side too? So when you're adding fresh fruit into a beer, um, how much variation do you get from one batch to another, from one order of X fruit, whatever it happens to be, based on the ripeness, based on that stuff? Like how the the, the nice thing with the fruit is is that it's uh. Year to year, there might be some slight variation, but like we we buy, we use so much fruit. I think we use like we're on pace for like oh, eighty thousand pounds this year or something ridiculous. So with the quantity of fruit we use, I can buy in a large bulk amount, and I buy from suppliers that basically <coughs> harvest in their whole year's supply of sales at once, and then it's the same through the whole year, and they keep right. it frozen. Uh, so each year might be a little different, but for the most part, there's a fair amount of consistency. If we're buying fresh. 
uh, it might be a little bit different, but these big bulk uh, frozen suppliers, it's all about the same. Well, and I, I imagine that in this this last year, that's been a big part of it too, is kind of figuring out that process to find those suppliers that can get you the most consistent products versus you know, trying to grab it fresh from this person to, versus that person. and everything. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We found there's actually a really big difference between fresh and uh, like frozen whole fruit purees. And the big difference is, is ripeness. If you're buying them frozen, it's more ripe because the farmer waits until peak ripeness on the plant. And then it's harvested and processed and flash frozen that same day. <laughs> where if you get something like fresh it's picked way under ripe and then it's shipped cross country and then generally you get it in your hands and it's still hard and then you got to let it ripen and it's generally not going to ripen evenly and it's a whole thing so we've we've really started moving towards buying frozen like whole fruit or purees depending on the fruit and having a consistent supplier there and then focusing really hard on local fruit suppliers that we can wait until the last possible second to drive to the farm and pick it up the same day and make sure that it's as vine ripened as possible. And that's, that's just been the biggest thing for us as, as far as fruit quality goes is wait until it's as ripe as possible before we get a hold of it. That's well, I mean, how much can, can you go local when you're doing things at a scale that you guys are as far as fruit goes? Uh, like, is that getting harder to do for the barrel project stuff? No, that's, we're still, we can still keep it, local for a lot of that stuff um when you start talking about like the midwest fruit tarts and stuff it's all coming from like three different locations for us that's either coming out of chicago out of the pacific northwest or we have a, a supplier in florida for like citrus and stuff so it's it's definitely more especially these big guys like they want to be near where things are being grown so those are right. kind of the big three areas for us it's it's a whole kind of it's a whole new world, I think, for for a lot of craft beer drinkers to to think about. I, you know, for 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 so many years, we've had fruit beers that are not really fruit beers. That that's what your perception was of it. It was, you know, well, I don't, I don't want to use the examples, but yeah, I mean, you guys, you guys know the ones out there that are. You're starting to realize now, hey, this is not this is this isn't real fruit. You can't have this in this beer and have it be this color this is what it looks like when you have that fruit in there and, and people are kind of looking at things a little differently. And, um, has there been pushback from people locally and feeling like they're being kind of called out and you're changing the <laughs> status quo and yeah. So, um, I mean, no specifics needed, I guess, but no, no, I, I, I uh, I don't know what, what you've heard in particular, but there's been, there's been some change um, afoot in the industry, and it, I think the biggest thing, and, and we you almost we were kind of touching on a little earlier, it's not that you use flavorings, it's not that you use extracts. You can do any beer any way you want. I think real fruit's better, and that's why we use it. That's the only reason we use it is because it tastes better, and it looks better, and it feels better. But if you think flavorings are better, just be transparent. Don't put. Uh, don't put brewed with blueberries and then only use three blueberries so you can legally call it with blueberries. And then when I can smell blueberries across blueberries across the bar, I know for a fact there's something else in there. Blueberries do not smell that intense. I use three pounds per gallon of blueberries in Whirly Gig, and I guarantee you, you can't smell it across the bar. 
But if you pour up some of uh, like uh, what's that like wild dog blueberry wild, wild, wild blue. blue. I mean, you can smell that crap from across the bar, and that's a pretty good indicator they're using something. If the beer reminds you of Smurf ice cream at Kings Island, <laughs> probably not real blueberries. You know, you, you touched on it a little bit that it's not that you're necessarily against using extracts, which kind of jumps into a really fun topic for, for, for me this fall, the, uh, the, the Halloween uh, mixed 12-pack, uh, which was one of my favorite beer releases that has ever been done uh you know me and my wife went home and we sat there and cracked open i can i can i can drink my dump water it's all right (laughs) (laughs) um we we sat down and we we pulled out all six bottles and we we cracked them open one at a time and so you know split all right what is this what is this what is this and it was the most fun that i think i've ever had sitting there drinking through a six-pack. That is the best thing to hear. I, thank you. I still have a couple sitting in my fridge when people come over and they you know, ask, oh, what do you want? And they they, well, I don't know, whatever you got. And I just, all right, pick one of these. <laughs> and then we sit there and do the same thing. It is the most fun. So that idea, um, and I assume a lot of, if not all of those, were extracts to get those flavors. They all, they all were, yeah. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Um, is this an idea that you guys are kind of going to roll with um, again in other seasons, other ideas, again with Halloween, you know? We won't say no, but the the point of that one being Halloween is it's us wearing a mask and using flavorings and extracts I think, I think for Halloween. The quote from Josh in the press release was it was probably a little bit obnoxious, just like the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> I could not have that in there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, are yeah. you guys ever going to talk about what the actual candy was, the, the, the idea? I mean, I think people have gotten pretty close with them if you kind of get online and look around. but There's a ton of close guesses out there. A lot of them are right. A lot are crazy, and I loved reading them. But people are like, is this gummy worm flavor? Well, like, there's different sure. flavors of gummy worms. So, like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay. This is Smarties. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Was it Smarties? Was it Gummy Worms? Was that our intention? No. But if that's what you taste, then that's what you taste. So I think originally we were going to come out and say what everything was, but uh, I think we're not going to do that now. I think we're going to just keep it a mystery. <laughs> of course. Which, which <laughs> lets us, you know, play into next year and maybe bring some of those flavors back. Maybe not, depending on what, you know, we decide to do. Is there... So I thought I had read at one time that there was a hint on the labels to what they actually were somehow... Is that true or is no? No. Okay. Because I'm sitting here staring at these labels like some kind of puzzle trying to that's, figure it that's, out. That's some, that's some next level conspiracy theory that we don't even have time to make up. Yeah. No hints. So what are we drinking now? I mean, I can see it, but. This is Pteranodon and this is our um, barrel aged peach sour. Uh, 100% spontaneous. It's got like five and change pounds of fresh peaches in it that our brewer, George, Drove down to South Carolina, went to his favorite peach farm, loaded up the back of the truck with as many peaches as we could fit, and then he drove back, uh, and we fruited this beer, and here we go. And it's about the most uh, exquisite example of like fresh, honest peach aroma and flavor that I've I think I've ever tasted. Holy in a beer. shit! It's crazy, man. That's good. <laughs> No, and, and and again, you know, right off of, or not right off of, but quickly off of Love Letter, 
I have this this one image of peaches in my head of what Love Letter is, and it's mm-hmm. fantastic beer. This is a whole different kind of peach flavor that comes through on it. The aroma, I don't get a ton of peaches. Maybe that's because I'm, you know, we've had a few beers beforehand, and I'm getting off a cold and everything. But, um, man, that that flavor is 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 is, is nuts. <laughs> Yeah, it's about that's, as peachy as it that's, gets. That's how great of a beer blogger I am. That's my description <laughs> of this beer. Man, that is nuts. <laughs> no, that that I'm getting more peaches in the aroma now that I've tasted yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's a little like cold right now too. Distinctly peach. Like this makes you know not to diminish love letter, but love letter just pales in comparison when you talk about a peach beer. Well, and that's it's it's funny because of like we talked earlier, you know, the the, the coating that that left on the glass from the peaches, like how different that i mean the the peaches are a little bit different too uh so they it was white peaches in both um but this was freestone white peaches uh and i think the other was cling so that kind of has a little bit different flavor in the in the final peach as well so um yeah so it starts off like this nice clean kind of um punchy tart flavor and then almost immediately you get that that big peach flavor that comes in and then kind of ends off kind of rounded and uh man <laughs> well done thanks well done that is that's something special i uh wow yeah we're really excited for this this whole dinosaur series and it's going to be some of the rarest in uh infrequently released beers of ours but when we do put them out um we want to just be able to guarantee and say with the utmost pride that these are some of the best beers in the world so you've you've had two kind of a month apart here that's not normal no this will be a while before you see another dino beer uh yeah absolutely we're kind of changing up our release um strategy for next year a little bit um so uh, we'll probably do a little blog post about it something sometime in the future, but um, we're moving to like uh, only we won't do two releases at the end of the year next year. We just had some stuff hit and weird, but we're going to have a little more succinct, a little bit more thematically inspired, uh, bigger releases, and then we'll pepper in some smaller, fun ones as well. And um, we don't want to we don't want to come off as oversaturating the customer and and trying to pull them away too often, but we want to provide people with a lot of fun opportunities throughout the year to, to come and enjoy urban artifact and the community. Well, and I, I imagine that 2017 was kind of a special year as everything was finally starting to, to hit and everything was kind of starting to come into place. And how many bottles did we do this year? Scotty? Uh, we're up to 94 products this year. <laughs> Just missed a hundred. Um, I, I, I try to keep a running list on, on the website of, all of the package releases in Cincinnati, which used to be really easy. I mean, Listerman kind of always made it a little tough to keep track of things with how many packages they put out. But um, it's it's straight up crazy now between you guys <laughs> and them, and uh, it is it is a hell of a list. And uh, I I think we're all better for it. This is I'm I'm I we were talking about that the other day. This Listerman has really just been. It's amazing how often they can kind of just refresh and kind of keep the old with the uh with the new but drop what's not working and seamlessly bring on new styles and beers and products and it's really just really been fun to watch them this past year too really come into a new own of theirs well i mean that's 
And, and I'm really curious to kind of look back at, at this Cincinnati beer community and the breweries that are here in five years and 10 years and look and see how that kind of works with everybody. I mean, places like Mount Carmel who are um, almost, you know, I don't, I don't want to call it like a militant steadfast of here's who we are, here's what we do. Um, but traditionally, you know, up until probably this last, you know, year or so, that's kind of been their thing. You know, here's our styles. This is, this is who we are. Um, versus Listerman who kind of, you know, is quick to kind of reinvent themselves whenever that opportunity arises and Mm -hmm. to, to see these different kind of places and how they, um, how they succeed or, uh, I imagine in looking back 10 years from now, who didn't succeed and how they did it and, um, it's going to be really interesting to kind of look at and um, this is going to be scene. a fun couple half years or, or a couple of years or so, maybe a half decade. Like this market is just going to things are going to change and it's going to get crazy. And there's only more breweries coming online and there's only so many tap handles. And there's only so much shelf space. And it's really going to be interesting to see, especially as bigger players get more involved regionally and locally, like. Brewdog hasn't even begun to start swinging their club around of the power that they have behind them. And I spent and and I spent a, almost a week up in Columbus not that long ago, and I I know everybody told me to go to Wolf's Ridge, and we tried, and it was way too busy, and we had a baby, and we we, we couldn't eat there. Um, mm, yep. So I'm, I I won't count them as a place that I went to with that in mind. Out of all of the other places that I went to and had a beer, Brewdog was by far my favorite place in Columbus. It was insane what they're doing up there and how much power they, uh, they have that they're just sitting on and just, you know, not really, uh, making their presence known, especially, you know, here in Cincinnati, like they're still kind of laying low and they aren't even, my my understanding is, is purposeful right now too. Like they're not purposely opening more States. They're not purposely focusing hard on Cincinnati or Cleveland for that matter. My understanding is they're just building that local vibe and feel in Columbus, and then I feel like it's uh, it's going to be a slow kind of like uh, creep out, and they're just going to fascinating. They're going to consume all. Like, it, is, uh, it, well, it, it is. It's you know a it's a startup brewery in Columbus that has this whole thing that they've been doing for how many years behind them? Like, and then there it's, it's, it's a sneak attack. I mean, it is, it is a sneak attack. <laughs> it is a sneak attack. They're, they're laying low. So they're we're preparing. local. <laughs> and man, it's, it's nuts, but it's it, like, uh, in risk when the, you get Australia and you just sit back and build your <laughs> just army, keep building it up. Yep. Coming for you, China <laughs> or Asia. <clears throat> I mean, what do you guys want people to know about these beers that you think they don't know? This has just been the culmination of everything we have been working on and doing for this brewery. And this, this, the liquid in this glass with this peach beer and with the boysenberry one, like this, this is it for us. Like this is, this is where we want to be. This is what we're going to stake our reputation on across the globe. And this is something that we couldn't be more proud of to bring to Cincinnati and have Cincinnati adopt. And even if you don't like us or what we're doing, I guarantee there's going to be some great trade value coming to these things <laughs> that that alone is worth it. If that's your game, like I'm, I'm very excited to, um, to just keep 
making Cincinnati this hub of really beers that push flavor limits. And I think we're doing a really nice job of that. I Um, think that, you know, this, this beer, this liquid extends well beyond Cincinnati. This is something that I don't know of anybody else that's doing something on this level. Be it just the craziness behind it and the, 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 the sheer this doesn't make sense from a from a brewery perspective from that from that call it the business side call it whatever you want this is this this is not the smartest way to make well i see it's (laughs) traditionally speaking this doesn't make sense but then you sit here and you taste it and if you're a beer drinker and a beer fan it it shines this light on everything that you're drinking. It's like, Oh my God, like there's, there's this whole other side to beer. This, it's not the unpredictability because you guys seem like you are harnessing that really well. So I don't even want to call it that. It's just this, it, 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 it's, it's brilliant. It, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. This is one of my favorite things that I have, I think ever drank. Well, thanks. I don't, I don't like peaches that much, uh, but this is really good. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I, I mean, aside, aside from the beer, Brett kind of alluded to us changing how we're going to do events. And now that we'll be posting this live after, <clears throat> excuse me, the holiday, the holiday release, um, just take a moment to reiterate what, what it is that people experienced that came to the bottle release. But, uh, so we gave away a hundred different gifts, um, at this, at the, at the holiday release, you know, nothing, nothing that we wanted to post to, but something that is as a kind of like little thank you and fun, quirky thank you to everybody that comes out that lines up. Um, and just tying in little things well, we, like that. We probably could post this before the release if we really wanted but we're to. Not now. If we wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Cause that ruins the surprise. It, you guys are doing a lot of things that is, uh, very right, even if um, it doesn't make the most sense. So uh, <laughs> just, just don't stop and, and don't uh, don't do anything differently, despite what anybody tells you. Thanks. I think uh, lock, uh, lock yourselves in the brewery. And don't listen to anybody. Well, you know, we, we uh, this 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 last holiday release, uh, you know, it didn't have as much of a holiday themed beer uh focus much, as we have much in the like past. this show <laughs> yeah so it's really fitting but uh we're very excited about next year and we're actually, excuse me we're actually not going to do a december release next year we're going to push it earlier and that way we can refocus and redouble our efforts on in december we are going to have just a wonderful amount of christmas beers and holiday beers and it's just going to be a blast we have some special things that we we haven't tapped yet that will be popping up here in the next, you know, several days, couple of weeks um, that are kind of Christmassy themed and inspired. But like, uh, you know, 2018, I think is going to be a lot of fun for Urban Artifact Christmas beers. And, uh, you know, maybe this year we kind of toned it down a little bit on the show and in the release. But next year, uh, it's going to be so much Christmas, you know, mistletoe will be coming out your ears. It'd be great. <laughs> is there like that moment where you guys are sitting here looking at a calendar and trying to figure things out? Where you just like, you just kind of throw up your arms. I mean, how the hell are we going to do everything we want to do? <laughs> like, is it does it become like a, a frustration almost? Of we've got all these ideas that are you know oozing out of our our heads, and we just we we can't harness it enough to get it all to happen. It, it's uh, 
it is a thing. Restraint is something that we have had to <laughs> battle to teach ourselves and learn. And I don't know if we're necessarily hitting it uh, as good as we could next year as far as like restraint goes. But I think that's kind of what makes the whole Urban Artifact Mad Scientist thing uh, the thing it is. Is, uh, you know, uh, you don't do crazy things unless you have a little lack of restraint. <laughs> Says the brewery who makes the greatest pickle beer ever <laughs> made. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, guys... <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, for making the time again yeah, for this uh, Christmassy of Christmas shows. Um, happy holidays, everybody, um, because this is still going to be before Christmas. So, yeah, happy, happy holidays. holidays. Um, I hope everybody made it out to the uh, to the release. Um, maybe I'll post a couple little teaser clips or something. I'm going to come up with something, but we'll see you guys next week. Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. <laughs>